welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com Cassie will introduce today's guest. Today in episode 455, we have objectifications, not the thing, the person. He describes himself as an orgasmonaut. He is a true-blooded pervert broken down like a cocktail. Two parts hedonism, one parts each of daddy, sex geek and lubricant aficionado. You will toss in three dashes of sensualism for charm, shake, strain and served up in a big pink glass. Our guest helps with the facilitating of the monthly Hudson County Munch, a vanilla night out for the locals who just want a safe public open space for getting to know the community in a low-pressure way. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max and Cassie, for that introduction. Online with me is Jesse. How are you doing? I'm all right tonight. You're up in the Northeast, like in Jersey City. Very much Jersey City. You don't sound like it. I can put it on. I grew up here, so it comes out sometimes. And if I'm trying to make fun of... North Jersey Italian people, it really comes out, but it sometimes feels cruel. Yeah, I don't know. I can't hear myself. I can't really hear what my accent is. I used to hate the sound of my own voice. So uh, I leave it to other people. I have constantly heard I don't sound like a Jersey guy. Well, you know, uh, Jersey City, it's, it's famous for a clock. There is a Kobe clock, which is down on the waterfront. I play wiffle ball with some friends down there. It's probably the best backdrop anybody's ever played wiffle ball with. Looking right across the Hudson of downtown Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's every year as we get older, we play less and less games. But it is one of the most magnificent places to just get together with your friends, drink some outside beers, and try to hit a ball that will go in any direction. Sounds like fun to me. So the reason I asked you to be on the show today is you have a very interesting philosophy of life and you're unapologetic about it. So tell me how this all came up. I haven't always been the most mentally healthy person. I grew up with a lot of shame and a lot of confusion, incredibly hypersexual when I was younger, but afraid of that sexuality. I was terrified of people who knew what they wanted and knew how to pursue that. And when I started growing mentally, like doing therapy, being honest with myself, almost about a decade ago, there was was this thing I kept hearing was like authenticity, your authentic self, just be your authentic self, lean into that. If you want things, don't be afraid of them and don't have hangups. And it took quite some time to figure out how to put that in action or to meet people who truly support that who don't second guess you and to believe that you can be whatever it is you want to be or whatever you innately are. But there's another end of that where I used to believe you couldn't change. I thought I was myself and I was born away and I had to suffer through all of that. And once I realized that you could change your behaviors and change your thoughts, Yeah, I guess behavior is the best word for that. Once you could change that, you could really explore the world in a much different way with a lot less shame and a lot less guilt. Carrying all that baggage is such a heavy load for a young person. Yeah, I I had friends in high school who really 
clearly must have known I was a queer and I didn't, but I did. This was just a weird way to, I was firstly attracted to women, but I fantasized about basically about disembodied cocks. I had this weird thing where I found dicks really sexually attractive and interesting, but I've never really had a physical attraction to men. And I definitely did not have anyone in my life to talk with, like I would try to talk about it and there's never anyone and I would feel weird and you'd have an interaction with someone. So there'd be innate homophobia or whatever people would just want you to pick a team or never really understand what bisexuality could or pansexuality could potentially be. But growing up in New York city. Coming to terms with that in the mid nineties, I, by all means should have been, I should have just run a run wild in New York city in 1994 and 95 and made out with every person in the world. But instead I would find a singular person who I trusted and had these really committed relationships that were monogamous and very codependent and yeah. Yeah. And when did the evolution to this freedom occur? Some of it, and I guess I'm going to have to have to be somewhat political. I've been somewhat I've sang for punk bands a lot in my life. I've always been socially aware and I was married for a very long time in a monogamous straight appearing relationship with another queer woman, a queer person. And I was queer. But everyone who looked at us would assume we were just a straight couple. And there was a social change happening right before the Trump election. I saw it two years in advance. I felt it at work. I felt like bullying was coming back and becoming normal again. I was watching some people start hiding parts of themselves in fear. And I had decided to actively by publicly and outwardly as queer, like just loudly, just be like, I'm queer. I suck dick for fun. And if you have a problem with that, we can discuss it. Uh, I don't have a savior complex, but I also know that I present incredibly masculine and it's, it's challenging for some people to consume that. And maybe it draws some of the attention off of other people who aren't as confident or as, or as a masculine and tough appearing as I am. So uh, some of it was to protect people in my life. Like I was just like, I wanted to, but decided to actively, and again, I live in a very progressive area. I, the most diverse city in all of America, Jersey city. We have a vibrant gay and queer community here. But when I leave Jersey city or when I go other places and I just sense that I have a problem with cruelty how cruel other humans can be to other humans. And when I sensed that I just, I wanted to be the first person taking the abuse. I have, I have, no one can possibly hurt me anymore with words. Like I've, they won't know. They might get to me a little bit, but I wanted to make it harder for people to bully people. And it really made me start being out being public, being visible, almost being a problem maker. And you said a word that a friend of mine uses and it was called unapologetic. 
she did a whole series of uh, photographs of women unapologizing for living their life. And I like that you like, she was one of my favorite local people. And I definitely was like, I proselytized for her. And I just was like, I was there. That is what I want in life. I want people to not say, actually, I have a house rule. We don't apologize for things that don't require an apology. I over apologize my whole life and I have lived a life where I apologize for just being, for just being. And I will not anymore. If I hurt someone, I am someone who does everything in their power to try to make things correct and right and learn from my mistakes. But unless I plan on changing my, my behavior, unless I plan on doing something about it, I don't apologize. If I just casually do something wrong, I make a correction. But you're human, right? Yeah. And it's a work in progress. And I try, I have four basic rules. And when I interact with people, if anyone kind of treads on them, I send them a little text message. Hey, these are my like under this roof rules. And it's some really simple stuff. It's we don't apologize for things that don't require an apology. We don't intentionally do things that make us feel bad. We do not participate in negative self-talk. And we do not accept sure as a response for an answer that could be yes or no. A little wishy-washy on that sure. Yeah. I was married to someone who used sure a lot and it did some damage in my head at some point. And it, it makes me just incredibly insecure that I don't want people to do things for me unless they tell me that directly. If you want to do something for me out of kindness or goodwill, you can say, sure, let's talk about it more. But if I like eagerness and I also like really, I find the word no helps me define the sandbox that I'm playing in with people. And I think I, I call it the wood around the sand. And every time you get a no, you get to hen in the little area that you get to exist with someone. And I like, I don't intentionally go after no's, but when someone tells me no to something, it shows me that they can say no and will say no. And it helps me trust them, even in casual life relationships, that they won't just bend to, bend to me if I get loud or if I want something, if I get a little bratty or pushy, because we all can do that sort of stuff. I like knowing that the people I communicate with will say no. But the other, those are my general guidelines. If I engage in a new friendship or relationship or I'm talking to someone about something, a project, I like eventually without fail that comes up and I just go to my notes and I forward it to them. And I'm like, this isn't like a hard thing. I'm not going to get mad, but it will be something that I'll ask. I'll be like, Hey, can we not keep apologizing because you were five minutes late to giving me a phone call or whatever it is. <laughs> Life is short, move on. <clears throat> so you have a crazy exhibitionist streak. It says here on Fed. Yeah, that didn't start really the pandemic. I had weight loss surgery eight years ago. And I was shooting before I had weight loss surgery. I was shooting some traveling models, some boudoir. I had a photo studio in my home. 
And I had started taking pictures of myself for the first time. I had avoided having pictures taken of me for years. I hated myself. I hated my body. The world had hated my body and hated who hated it. And once it wasn't about my weight, but I wanted to force myself to look at my body. And I had been asking people to bear themselves for a while. And I started shooting self-portraits, nudes, not like erotic, and would post them on Tumblr. Like I had a, an account that was mostly the work I was producing with other people. And I would just share them there. And right before the pandemic hit, I had met my current girlfriend. And she was like, hey, take pictures of me and share them with people. And I had no one to do that with. So I went to FET with those pictures and started sharing her on FET Life, which turned into me being a self-portrait artist, pushing, putting myself out there. And I really like the fact that I get to control how I'm consumed. I don't get to control who consumes me, but I get to pick and choose what pictures I post what they look like, what they feel like, what message I pair with them. And I, I'm a spectacle. I'm a, I'm part performance artist. I'm here to make the world react to the things that I do. And I think learning a couple of years ago that I was fat and I was hot and that they're not mutually exclusive empowered me to be more of an exhibitionist. And to just put myself out there and encourage other people to just, to just do it, to just, if you feel sexy, if you are comfortable with people objectifying you, thinking your tattoos are hot, or I'm, I guess known for the way I stare into the camera in some of my selfies, but if people like that, if people like your hands or your fingers, like it's okay to be playful with that on the internet. And my girlfriend, she just loves to be shared she loves she, she's got a little vanity and she just will she doesn't even want to post them herself she wants me to do it it's a very interesting dynamic liberating to her i am i am the relationship that we've crafted during the pandemic is like nothing either her or i ever thought it wasn't like a I don't think it was really a fantasy for either of us. And then we started learning about it. I was listening to a couple podcasts that weren't yours at the beginning of the part of the pandemic. And I started getting really, I've always been inquisitive and curious. I don't have traditional kinks. Like I'm game for a lot of things, but, and I have a lot of toys and a lot of stuff but there's nothing i need outside of making out to really get me off or get me going and i was hearing all of these people talk about things and ways that i had never thought about them and it started i had a partner who was willing to play with these things and was eager and interested and she would allow me to make 
I have a really imaginative brain. So I would make scenes. You would just give me a prompt. Hey, I want to be spanked in your big bay window while people are walking by. And I would make a whole two hour thing that we would do. Just starting with that though, I would have it and, and again, being two fat bodied people, I think there's also a radical component to it. There is something challenging to the status quo where we both can be fat, incredibly sexy, incredibly, we can empower other people just but like, we don't just tantalize them. We make people sometimes go out and do it themselves with their partners be like, and I really, it's a, it's an interesting thing that I did not set out with an intention to do. And now sometimes I get really heartfelt, interesting messages on FetLife about that. And I, I am a humble person by nature and believe we're all humans and we're all capable of doing everything. And I don't think I'm any different than anyone, but I guess to an extent I've inspired some people to, to find themselves a little more sexy, maybe to find the thing that is hot about themselves and power that up. I see that you identify as a hedonist also, an unapologetic hedonist, I might add. How does that fit in? I think I grew up in a family that liked to enable people having a good time. That when you put multiple people in a room together, that there should be delicious food, endless cocktails, good music, and that, that pursuit of pleasure, uh, I was cooked. And I would travel and eat and drink, and I would want the best of everything. I would want to savor all of these delicious eats, drinks. And when I was coming into my own with my sexual identity in the past couple of years, I saw the relationship to that and the way I've had sex my whole life and just that I've been blessed with like conversion and I've been blessed with an ability to, if I'm touching someone and they are getting pleasure, I also get pleasure from it. And it unlocked this thing about the way I fed people my whole life and invited people to my house. And I've probably sent people home who've had great nights of sex because they've left it with this euphoric soaked in a night of other pleasures and just go home wanting to touch each other wanting to but i'm endless like i have this well of energy and love so if i go to the cheese shop i'm buying four types of cheese i'm buying four types of meat i am buying pickled string beans and I'm buying a type of jelly because I want all of the flavors. You're an experienced junkie. Yeah. And with sex, with all things related to sex, I could just, I don't ever grow tired of it. I don't tap out. I don't 
And if it feels good, I want to do more of it. I want to do more and I want to do more and I want to do more. And I've never done narcotics because at a very young age, my mother identified and told me this about myself. My mother was like, please just do not get into narcotics the way you enjoy things. You enjoy them until you've burnt them out. And if you, you do drugs, you're going to, you're probably not, you're going to have a hard time controlling that or end up dead. And I do have some family substance abuse stuff. So uh, even as a young kid, I think I was like 14 or 15 when she told me that growing up sandwiched between North and Jersey city, drugs are really super accessible to anyone. You just didn't have to even walk too far. And so I took skateboarding and doing bands, these other things, uh, did them until I destroyed self and, but I, if I understand you're the reigning blowjob champion of Camp John Waters, 2022, 2021, I have recently, I was the host of the 2022 Camp John Waters blowjob contest. We are not allowed to compete in back to back years. So you win, then you host. A lot of what happens at Camp John Waters is supposed to be a, what happens at camp stays at camp. But I do like to share the fact that seems to intimidate people and scare people. I spent my pandemic learning how to basically deep throat the largest things that anyone can. And it's almost like a sideshow thing. Like I learned, I had a really weak, I like having fingers in my mouth, but I would get high. And I wanted to learn how to stop that. So I went on a journey of reading things and listening to people and trying and trying, and I was really trying to figure out what works and what helps you suppress your gag reflex. And then I couldn't stop for some reason. I just kept putting bigger things, longer things, wider things. And I, I have a capacity for, for things that go down my throat that shocks and scares people. So I very easily. I don't, I, the person who should have won had a great routine that involved the banana that they mushed up and they had only torn the tip off of, and they made it like come all over them. They should have been the winner, but everyone was really shocked how far I could get a zucchini down my throat without dying. And I did some theatrical stuff and the judges liked probably the fact that I was so masculine and straight appearing. And were, was just like, look at this giant zucchini disappear. And I leant over sword and swallower wood and showed everybody just a little bit of stem that was sticking out of my mouth. And it was my first time going to camp and I had to be convinced by the couple of people I knew there to really enter. But I will say this, if anyone out there has ever thought about going to camp John Waters, they're the most loving, supportive, I don't ever even like using weird, but weird is the word that most people will like, it is just a different breed of person that you don't get in any other subculture, but like the thread that ties them all together, not everyone is the same and it's a whole bunch of different types, but there's this thread of acceptance that really runs through them. It doesn't matter if you're fat or skinny or don't have teeth or are really good at costuming or just want to be naked. They will accept and love you and lift you up and find a way to bring you into the family. 
and it is a brilliant thing. And I wish I had started going year one and I said no to year one, to year two, to your friends would just reach out. And I'd be like, that sounds, it's like an active actual summer camp. Like they have ropes courses, archery and horseback riding and in various states of uh, disrobing. Like when you're around the actual functioning staff, uh, again, we try to keep things that happen at camp, stay at camp, but the staff loves it. But you do try to have some decor or uh, I guess decor is the right word. Yeah. You have to have some decorum. Yeah. You don't want to like push. They're going to see enough at all of the things we do for ourselves, like the parties and the karaoke night, the talent show and which my talent. Man, talk about my talent for the talent show. I'm curious. So I did a thing. I didn't know there was going to be a talent show. I decided to read a couple messages. I've sent people on dating apps and I said my talent was being left on red. And I've always been confused by this. Like I, there are memes that go around that you're not too much. You're just not the right person for that person. And I would be having great conversations with people. And I would send a random message. One was like a recipe for a watermelon salad. And it just got left on and it like ended the conversation. And another one was like a slightly erotic poem about a pair, but we had been talking about pears and her photo was her biting into a pear. And I just like off the top of my head wrote this poem about how great a good pear is, but how rare we decide to buy pears and bite into pears. Pears are, uh, can be very good. And it just got left on red. And the people at camp loved it. They thought it was, and I just didn't know what to do. I just was like, what is my talent? What do I have? That's like, ah, oh, here's, I've had a series of five people dead end conversations. Let's read those messages. That is uh, certainly a, a demonstration. So. I understand that your apartment is a fucked up hypersexual Chotsky shop. Very much. Inside my doorway is a wall I call the wall of sacrilegiousness. It's a lot of religious iconography and some kinky little weird Chotsky things, but like the Jesus jackhammer dildo is hanging right on the wall for divine intervention, something I've coveted for years. I've got one of the uh, paddle. Something on a budget is the name of the company, but it's like a crucifix and has the Jesus fish on it made out of like polymer and just a lot of horny nuns. I'm always looking for horny priest stuff. You surprisingly can't find it. There's a great illustration of Jesus. I'm staring at it from over here. I'm like, oh, there's an uh, illustration of Jesus with his nation. He's beating the money lenders, I think, with the vines and thorns. But I just don't care about anyone's opinions about anything anymore and i am like if people love me or if people like me obviously my home is not safe for like children i have another wall just over to the other side which is all queer artists photographers i've been friends with traded photos with some great kink artists but i have a photo on my wall coop the illustrator and it's a scene that i didn't even know i thought it was just a portrait of two leather, like a Folsom picture of two women in leather. And it turns out it was a Dave Naz scene. And eventually somewhere on the internet years later, after I bought it, it popped, like the scene itself popped up and I was like, oh my God, that is just even cooler that I just thought it was a photo. And he was like, Hey, 
at Folsom, but it actually is still the scene. I have a Miss Meatface piece on my wall. Yeah, I, I got a whole wall of art that I've commissioned that's all divine like from the John Waters stuff. And By the way, anybody that doesn't know who John Waters is, Google it. Yeah, yeah, he is. I like him. I love his movies, like for growing up immersed in them, but I'm not like a fanboy. And I think they're more entertaining movies, but he is such a great artist conceptually. He is so smart, witty, and he's an icon. Yeah, he is. Pink Flamingos turned 50 years old this year. And that is one of my least favorite movies of his. And I like the early stuff too. If I think of multiple maniacs and Pink Flamingos, Desperate Living, like I'm a desperate living person. Like I'm always asking people like, what's your favorite John Waters movie? Why is Desperate Living? But his brain just works in such an incredible way. He sees the world. I think he sees the world for what it is. And there are so few people who just don't try to push their own idea of what the world should be. And I think he just lets the, he makes commentary on the world that is and doesn't try to reshape it. He just, this is what it is. And again, he's unapologetic about it. Yeah. His one man show last year, some people had some criticisms. He maybe got a little punching down a little bit. And this year's one man show is definitely a little more succinct and, uh, not as grumpy, but he does generally never make an apology. He'll just correct it the next time around. He'll do better the next time he hears you. He doesn't necessarily agree with you, but he just well, will do. We all evolve a little bit. So also you seem to accommodate people. You planned a gangbang bukkake party for your girlfriend. Two separate occasions. Yeah. Again, I, in my wildest dreams. I had no positive examples for this stuff. I had run away from every person, knew who they were, knew what they wanted in life. And I didn't necessarily believe that. I knew that people had group sex and stuff, but I couldn't imagine how it happened. And I believed it was mostly letters to penthouse and the magic of the actual positive sides of that life are finding those positive examples, finding those real human people who were posting about their actual, how they organized gangbangs, how they and their partners navigate that dynamic. And I know my girlfriend and I are like a modified version of stag vixen, where there is like literally no shame in me that other people fuck her. And I set her up on dates and empower her to just do the things that she wants to do if and when do them and it is it has had a really interesting effect with my relationship with men i generally have no interest in getting to know men i do not like when they open their mouth i am immediately turned off and just like i mentally check out and I've been trying to work with a therapist. I was supposed to start attempting to go on dates with men just before the pandemic had hit. I'd worked on it for a couple of years, trying to really think about what going on dates with someone who 
I could really have casual sex with, but trying to build some sort of trust or vulnerability with them before doing that took me a while to get there. But setting her up on dates with people has really shown me that I have really good boundaries with men that like any sort of fear of being talked over by other men in my life has diminished that like, I know for a fact that I have a voice and people listen to it and have to listen to it. And that when I say no to guys for whatever reason, when they're trying to get into her pants or take her out on a date, when I say no, I've had very few problems and it's really changed my perspective. It's enabled me to have a newish relationship that I didn't think I would have with Matt. And it's probably going to make it easier when I finally revisit going on dates with men for more than just sex. I can trust men a little easier today than I could have three years ago because I've set up a gangbang, because I've set up a Bukaki party and have been like, these are the rules. Can you follow these rules? And when people send up a red flag, I just don't let them come. And if people can go through my protocol, can answer my four questions at first, and then have a little rapport and can give me the things that I ask for, that I can trust some men, that it's not, and to not get really, but like my personal trauma, most of my things in life are related to the way men have treated me in life, like just abuse handed to me at the hands of men. So it's made it really hard for me to be a guy's guy. And again, the cruelty I've witnessed in life, most of it has been men perpetrating it, not all and not limited to, but I've just seen so much cruelty and so much ignorance and so much hate by men that I just am almost like, I've got a really great and usually abundant bunch of relationships with everyone else in the world. It depresses me that I don't have better relationships with men. And I would like to find the men on this planet that are like me, who have those same thoughts and feelings and don't trust easy and want to work towards trusting each other. And it doesn't matter if they're straight or queer or bi or gay. I just don't have my men tribe. I don't have that. Would love to someday have that. As long as they're emotionally functional. So to get back to Camp John Waters, I was handing out flyers I'd made for the blowjob contest. And I get to one table, it's one guy and all of them. And the guy makes a comment being like, what are you doing later? Just playful flirtation. And I said to him, I'm like, I'm past that part of my life right now, but what's your emotional ability like? And all of the women at the table erupted. It was like the funniest thing that no one would have expected to have heard. And I was dead serious where I was like, they're cute and they're funny. And I would like to know if they're just here on this planet know how to have feelings, know how to emotionally regulate and are not going to continue a cycle of guys creating trauma survivors, which create more trauma survivors, which create more trauma survivors. And we don't address this stuff. 
and it never gets fixed. And I am fighting to just stay off that ride. My whole, I've been fighting for the past 10 years to be off of that cycle. But it's funny. I could have just as easily been like, yeah, sure. Down the dark path later tonight, let's hang out. But I opted to make a joke of it. You certainly have a lot of things going on. We had just burned through our time like crazy here tonight, but you're a fascinating soul. And I'd love to get to know you better because it's got a lot going on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It, I didn't really think about a message to say to anyone, but I say a couple of things that are in my profiles. Can I just say them right now? Please. I'm curious as it, I am queer as in aggressively still curious. Um, as in, I, I really don't think I know who I am, but I'm available to keep looking for myself. I'm available for keep exploring everywhere and everything and to no longer be like, I'm afraid of trying this thing. And I'm horny, but I'm also not desperate. I think that is a key component to my life that I say I'm a slut, but I am horrible at hookup culture and really good at dating and being intimate and vulnerable with people. As long as it doesn't, isn't just me being aggressive and assertive right out the gate. And I think being able to say that and be happy with it is what authenticity is that I don't let other people tell me that a slut is someone who has to go out on a date and fuck in 15 minutes. It sometimes can be a couple of weeks. Uh, that's okay. I'm still incredibly slutty. And the tease is a wonderful thing about a slut. Oh, yeah. You know, dancing that tango is what it's all about. I love a tease and denial so much. I, and I missed out. I was too stodgy when I was younger to understand how great it was. I was too uptight. I needed every present unwrapped for me and spelled out. I needed to know what was in every box. If you can be playful, you can be curious. If you still don't know who you are, walk out your door with curiosity and playfulness. And I believe, I really do believe that it has made my life so much better to just be playful, to be curious and to try and dabble. Thank you very much for having me, giving me some space to talk. Fantastic. We will uh, get caught up again in the future. You have been listening to the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast, and we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max.